Finding the right person for the job isn't easy. Just ask someone who hired a lounge singer to be their office receptionist. Hello, this is Mickey Marquis, and you've reached the office of Doug and Associates. <laughs> Thank you very much. Catch me Tuesday nights at the Hotel Johnson. Hello? But if you've got an insurance question, you can always count on your local GEICO agent. They can bundle your policies, which could save you hundreds. Doug and Associates, this is Mickey Marquis. Hello? For expert help with all your insurance needs, visit geico.com slash local today. This is the Cubs-related podcast presented by CubsInsider.com. My name is Corey. I am joined, as always, by Brendan. And we are coming to you on Tuesday, October 12th. Uh, Thank you guys for giving us some leeway uh, as opposed to posting on Monday. Some travel issues for Brendan over there in Arizona, but we are back and ready to talk about the Cubs. And while the Cubs are in the offseason already, uh, that does not stop Brendan and I, and I assume a lot of you, from uh, letting our inner petty out and watching the Milwaukee Brewers get eliminated from the postseason uh, by the Atlanta Braves earlier this evening. Uh, Brendan, Look, we would all prefer the Cubs to be in the playoffs and the ones that, you know, we were watching today and and hopefully moving on to a different round and stuff like that. If we have to settle for a consolation, I think watching Josh Hader give up the game-winning home run to Freddie Freeman and then Christian Yelich stare at a pretty blatant strike uh, for strike three to end the Brewers' season— it's a nice consolation prize if we have to take it. You did not even mention the best part about that. We got multiple, multiple shots of Craig Council looking depressed, devastated that his team yet again did not advance to the World Series. Again, Corey, right. it's an annual tradition, whether it be in the playoffs or at the end of the regular season. This is happy Craig Council disappointment day. Enjoy. Yeah, it. so the... Cardinals taken out in the wild card game, a walk off by Chris Taylor of the Dodgers. And, you know, Brendan and I's Dodger feelings aside, the immediate enemies, the real enemies of the Chicago Cubs yeah. are now all gone. And so that, I think, allows most of us to sleep well at night. You know, now you get into your personal preferences, regional preferences. You know, obviously, Brendan and I spent a lot of time in Los Angeles. Maybe some of you don't like the Braves or the Red Sox. I know, you know, most of us, I think, don't like the Astros anymore after 2017. Uh, but the real, true rivals and enemies of the Chicago Cubs. Uh, the Brewers and the Cardinals are gone. They cannot win the World Series. The Brewers will remain a World Series list franchise, and uh, yes. all of that lives to see another day. So who do you prefer to win to win it all? Is it the Red Sox? Is it going to be the Braves? I, I imagine those are the only two teams at this point. Uh, I would take the Giants, the Braves, uh, or the Red Sox. I can't. I can't do the Giants. I can't do. That. Yes, because you don't want to I see cannot, Chris Bryant happy. No, I can't. No, like only for this year. Next year, sure, you can be happy as all you want, but not this year. No, I don't agree with that. Um, I find the Giants to be mostly innocuous, and I would be fine with seeing Chris Bryant happy, but. I, you know, sort of see that. At this point, you're almost guaranteed that somebody (laughs) that played for the Cubs is going to be in the World Series. Um, I mean, I don't mind Schwarber playing for the Red Sox in the World Series. Like, I like Chris Bryant. I just don't want to see. I just don't want to see him like 
in the World Series this year. I, I, I don't know. I don't know why. That's, I don't understand it yeah, about my, my head, but uh, I don't want to see it. I suppose I understand that. I mean, I don't. I don't know. I don't love the Red Sox. You know, they had their own cheating thing that came out, and I, I don't know. You know, overall, I could take it or leave it. Um, yeah. Yeah. So you know, Greens, anybody but L.A. and Houston, I guess. Basically, I mean, Houston would be right. super annoying just because that would sort of, know. Uh, you know, I don't know just coming off of the cheating thing, you know, that they were able to stop doing that. I guess we assume they stopped doing that to some degree and still win. It just, you know, that would be um, pretty, pretty bad, I think, narrative-wise. Um, but as long as it's not LA or Houston, I think I, I would be fine. Yeah, it's fine. Yep. Yeah. So um, aside from, you know, uh, laughing at the uh, failures of our enemies, uh, we do have some Cubs stuff to talk about. We are going to later in this episode, you know, take a look back at the pitching staff. We did the offense uh, last week and, you know, just sort of a sort of end of season review and kind of really setting the table for once the offseason starts, kind of putting a, you know, period on analyzing the 2021 season now that we have all of the information. But we do have some stuff to talk about that has happened, you know, since we last spoke to you. Uh, The first of which is Jed Hoyer gave his end of the year address and, uh, you know, the the sort of state of the union at at season's end, which oftentimes, uh, when it was Theo Epstein doing these press conferences, came with things that pissed Brendan off uh, just because he, you you, you always had issue usually with at least one thing Theo said and and I would get a text from you, you know, why would he say that to the media? You know, now those idiots like Jesse Rogers are going to, you know, write these columns and and why would he say that (laughs) to them? What (laughs) happens it happens yeah i was right about i i I don't think jed provided any fodder in that regard yeah thank god i'm asking that's yeah you tell me thing i asked for i don't think he did i mean i don't want to i don't want jesse rogers to go into that you know locker room in sprint training day one asking why the offense broke we didn't get anything like that so i think overall it was fine okay that's uh that is fair and yeah you know jed seemed i i don't know if there's too much to dig into on what Jed said, I, I mean, he he keeps things pretty close to the vest, I think, in terms of not really giving away what exactly he his intention is. You know, he, he talked about a lot of things and, you know, even like the budget, which is something that we often wonder about and talk about. He literally said, I don't think it would, you know, make any sense for me to delve into specifics there from a strategy perspective. I'll know what it is, and and that's what really matters, but I'm not going to tell all of you. So that question is not going to be answered. He did say that they would have money to spend, but, you know, we've heard stuff like this before, and obviously they're going to have money to spend. They're guaranteed payroll, and, you know, their eventual payroll after arbitration raises and things like that is next to nothing. So obviously they're going to have money to spend. So that doesn't mean too much. We did get news uh, that Anthony Iaposi will not be returning as the hitting coach. And Mike Borzello, a, a longtime member of this Cubs organization, has done some some really great stuff uh, with this team, is not going to return. Um, so Brendan, I don't know if you have any thoughts. Um, you know, this is another turnover in the hitting coach department. I I think, you know, perhaps more than, you know, when we talk about like the pitching infrastructure, I think attributing 
credit or blame to the hitting coach, and that side of things is a lot harder. Um, but I don't know if you have any opinions on that. Um, and then, you know, I, I think we would both agree that losing Borzello is a shame. Yeah, well, starting with Borzello, it, it, it's interesting how he was the one guy who went across these different bridges of Cubs era. And he was with the Dale Swain coaching staff. So for him to last that many different managerial staffs is impressive. He helped Hendricks come along. He was a real big proponent of of elevating Hendricks' fastball. And we saw maybe that had some influence on these other guys elevating their fastballs and sinkers. So that sucks. It was 10 years with Borzello. It sounded as if he wanted something different. The Cubs wanted maybe something different as well. They kind of got all they wanted out of that type of experience, which is natural. So it does suck to see him go. He did leave his mark, and you do wonder how much more can you provide. So on that note, I the, the Iaposi stuff, not surprising whatsoever. I was surprised that he wasn't let go even after last year. Uh, the reason being is because they overworked their hitting development infrastructure when they got Justin Stone and the lead baseball philosophy over to the Cubs a couple years ago. I was surprised that that also did not signal a new hitting change at the big league level. I oppose he was with the Cubs during the years of even Chris Bryant developing as a prospect, all those guys developing as prospects. They're no longer here. So having a new big league hitting coach that might have more of a connection or overlap of some of the philosophy they're trying to uh, embed in their younger guys in the minor leagues with Justin Stone and those folks probably is beneficial, makes sense, right? Now, to what degree do those guys have noticeable effects? I don't know. I, I can't say that there's, of course, there's not going to be you know, no effects. They're going to have effects. And we were asking the same questions when we were talking about, you know, pitching coaches during the mid-2010s and to what degree they had effects. And we see they have today pretty large effects. So it'll be fascinating to, to follow who's the next big league hitting coach. But I think it's going to align with what they're trying to do at the lower levels with Justin Stone um, and and all of those guys who are working in the hitting infrastructure development. And it's, it's going to signal too kind of what the new philosophy might be once we do end up hiring a new hitting coach. Yeah. Uh, you know, I like I said, I, I agree with you on Barzello. He just, you know, was always, uh, you know, just seemed like a really great guy and a great presence. And there were a ton of stories, um, you know, ranging from Wilson Contreras to Kyle Hendricks of guys that, you know, constantly talked him up and the impact that he had with them and the changes that he had suggested to them and things that they had, um, you know, brought to their game because of Mike Borzello. So uh, wherever he is going next, uh, wishing him well. He's he's been a, a joy to have around. A very gifable um, member of the dugout. Some really great reaction oh, yeah. gifts from Mike Borzello over the years. Um, with Iaposi, I yeah, I, I think that that is likely more the sort of reasoning behind this. Um, and and the reason I say it's harder to sort of figure with hitting coaches rather than pitching coaches, like. Brendan talks all the time, and, and we talk all the time on here, a lot of stuff that's very noticeable when you have new guys in charge of your pitching infrastructure, right? Like Brendan brings up all the time, like how the Cubs have started, you know, having their pitchers throw sinkers up in the zone more. And and you can sort of see things like that tangibly when you watch the games. Like, oh, here is this clear philosophy that is taking place 
from the pitching side of things. Then you go down to the minor leagues, you see guys adding pitches, you know, doing things in a certain way that just sort of jumps off the page. Like, oh, okay, this is clearly what the Cubs are trying to do from a pitching level. It's a little harder from a hitting perspective, unless guys are making really clear changes to their swing, uh, you know, mechanics, things like that. It's a little harder to figure what exactly is is going on under the hood from a hitting perspective um and you know and this is true on the on the pitching side as well but I I think Brendan is is on the right track with you know just wanting to get a voice that is more in line with some of the newer stuff that they're doing or you know take them in a new direction um because I think the first question that you know comes if you're looking at a hitting coach right especially a team that has turned this over uh several times since uh you know John Malley was was let go if you know a few years ago is how do you you know what do you give him credit for and what do you blame him for, right? And even just in the 2021 team, there's a million things you could look at, right? Like, does Anthony Iaposi get credit for Frank Schwindel and and the work that he did? Ian Happ was bad and then he was really good. Is that something that Iaposi fixed or didn't fix? Like, it's it's just a little harder to kind of figure, I think, um, you know, what is the tangible effect of the hitting coach and what are we giving them credit or blame for? So I, I, I doubt that he is being let go because of things like that. And I think it's, it's definitely what Brendan said. It's just like, you want a new voice in there, someone that's maybe reflecting more of what you're doing at the different levels and organizationally, and, you know, maybe getting a new voice or, or new strategy in there. Well, it makes sense, too, given the roster turnover. Right. You can make the argument, okay, Iaposi was through Chris Bryant's development. He knows Chris better than most guys in Major League Baseball. Same thing about Rizzo and, and Javi and, and those guys. So you understand the logic of why he was still on this big league coaching staff despite turning over the entire organizational hitting philosophy. But now it makes sense. Now it's time for a new voice align the big league club with the lower levels and let's see what happens i'm more fascinated to see who's who's it going to be because that's going to signal to us as fans what to look for what they're actually trying to do because with tommy hadavi we know what he's trying to do is pitch lap stuff it's amplifying spin rates changing pitch grips changing sinkers up in the zone it's obvious we don't have that obvious look for hitting and i i would love to see that Yeah, so that was sort of the coaching news that Jed Hoyer gave us in his presser uh, last week. He also talked, you know, reiterated his confidence in David Ross. Nothing to report there on an extension, but, you know, again, reiterated uh, that the confidence is there and that, you know, he believes Ross is a great manager. They have a great working relationship, yada, yada, yada. Um, So some of the other stuff, again, really non-committal on a lot of stuff. You know, he talked about guys like Frank Schwindel and, you know, he he sort of used the phrase, they're, the phrase, they're going to be a big part of the team next year, um, but would not say like, yes, Frank Schwindel is going to be the everyday first baseman. Um, you know, same thing on, on someone like Patrick Wisdom. Like, you know, he's he, he wants to uh, have him involved, but not going to be, you know, committal about what that role is going to be. Same thing even with guys like Jason Hayward, you know, talked about how it was a big struggle for him and things like that. But, you know, again, nothing uh, 
concrete on what is going to happen with uh, some of those roles and even some of the guys that we've talked about you know the 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 pitchers that we were paying attention to for so long uh, guys like Alzali, Steele, Keegan Thompson same thing big part of the team but not and you know letting us know exactly what that was going to be so at, like I said at the outset he was you know keeping his cards pretty close uh, and not really offering a lot of firm you know, definite information. And I think that is, you know, to be expected. We've, we've talked about the the budget concerns, the collective bargaining agreement conversations that are still going to have to happen. So it makes sense uh, that he's not going to lay it all out there for us. And in a lot of these scenarios, he really might not know. It might depend how trade talks go, how free agent talks go, things like that. And he'll have to make some decisions as we go along. Um, the, the one thing I want to transition to, because I think it makes sense for what we want to talk about today, which is the pitching staff, and that is he did, you know, really hammer home that they needed to be better uh, on that side of the ball. And we all knew that. We all watched that, right? So that wasn't exactly a surprise. But he did, you know, really, you know, in no uncertain terms, say, like, we have got to dramatically improve our pitching staff. The pitching staff was not good enough. Um, you know, the bullpen had its flashes and stuff like that, but the, you know, he he said the number one priority is adding starting pitching because that is what the team needs, and that is what was not good enough in 2021. So I think that's uh, a pretty good segue for us, Brendan, to talking about the pitching staff in 2021, but um, anything else from Jed's presser that jumped out, or even on those specific kind of lines with him, you know, he he didn't give us specifics on a lot of stuff, but he did kind of, you know, really make it clear that they have a lot of overhaul to do in the pitching department. It's obvious. Uh, It's it's not news to us. The, The one added feature of his press conference is that he's going to meet with ownership discuss a budget but it sounds as if there's going to be no surprises now what that budget ends up being is to be determined but as it stands now they're going to have around 55 ish or so million committed after arbitration i mean in theory you can add a hundred plus million and still be under previous year's payrolls so they're not going to go into this season with a with a budget lower than the bottom five teams in this league. They're going to be spending money, even if they're not trying to go out and win a World Series full throttle for 2022. There's still ways to get figures such as Gossman or Strowman, or if they want to go with a one-year option like Syndergaard and, and those types of guys. So I expect him to be heavily involved. I, what Jed was saying was no surprise. There was no controversy, which I liked, and people will forget about all of this in three weeks, which is what I hoped would happen. Right. Yeah, no no soundbite. So actually, last thing from the uh, presser, or just, you know, general like Cubs news, and then we'll get to the pitching staff. Uh, the Athletic, Sahadev Sharma and Patrick Mooney, I believe this was some exclusive reporting on their part. So, um, you know, as always, that stuff is very good from those two. If you want to check that out over at The Athletic, uh, they did report that the Cubs have a final four for their GM search. You remember that the Cubs have not had uh, a general manager for a while, which is, you know, certainly a decision that they've been, been making. Um, 
but they will fill that, and it sounds like it is going to be soon. So I won't delve too much into you know the entire background of these guys, but to just give you the layout again, this is from the Athletic. You know, consider uh, supporting them. They 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 put out uh, you know a lot of exclusive work like this pretty frequently. Um, the candidates: Carlos Rodriguez, the Rays. Vice President of Player Development and International Scouting, Carter Hawkins, the Cleveland Assistant General Manager, James Harris, the Cleveland Vice President of Player Development, and Jeremy Zoll, the Twins Assistant General Manager with a focus on minor league operations. So, you know, again, like th- this stuff is, is you know, difficult to have firm opinions on, I think. Um, You know, I, you guys know this a a while ago now. I interned in some front offices, um, but like having strong opinions on guys that work in a front office is, you know, difficult, right? Because these are guys who work in an office. They work for an organization. And unless you're in that organization, you're relying on whatever people write about them or information comes out to decide, if you think they do a good job and and things like that. And, you know, you can look at if a guy's in player development, who comes out of those systems and things like that. But, you know, still, it's it's just an odd thing to be like, yeah, I love that guy, right? Like, do you really know, right? Not really. Um, but that being said, I think the, the approach here is to go for organizations that have shown an ability to draft and develop players through their minor league system and do that with success. And when you're looking at the Rays, the Twins, and Cleveland, those are all teams that have pretty routinely had strong farm systems and graduated players from those farm systems to being productive members of their major league teams. Obviously, those three teams have had varied success at the major league level over the last few years. Um, But I think, again, without knowing any of these guys personally, without being in the offices and knowing what decisions they specifically made or didn't make or, or things like that, I think the idea to go for those types of um, you know gentlemen from those organizations with those particular focuses, I think is is the right thing. And, and more than anything, Brendan, and I, th- I think we've known this for a little while, but I don't know if it was ever like a confirmed thing. Like, I'm just glad that we're going to be getting someone from outside of this organization, right? right? I think it's right. been a long time. You know, we knew it wasn't going to be someone like Jason McLeod and stuff like that. But for a long time, this organization has had most of its eyes come from the tree of Theo Epstein, right? And that exactly. that was a great thing. Theo had a lot of success and it worked for a long time. But, you know, as the roster turns over, as the game of baseball changes as it does very often, you want different perspectives, different eyes, and you look at these three organizations, the Twins, Cleveland, and Tampa, and, you know, they do things differently than the Cubs, right? They're often operating on a much smaller budget. Their emphasis on player development, scouting, minor league development, things like that is just different. And I'm excited that the Cubs are going to be prioritizing that and bringing in somebody fresh. That's what we were, that's what we we wanted even 
before Theo announced his inevitable departure, was bringing voices outside the organization to, to, to change things up. But not just for the sake of changing things up, but putting a, a different type of emphasis on pitching development and changing how you scout and your drafting strategy. And we saw that with Dan Kantrovitz over the last two drafts now. And for Jed, this is a big deal going outside the organization. It was never a foregone conclusion, even when he took over the the president of baseball operations, that this would be the case, uh, that he would go outside the organization and get someone that high up to be his second man. Theo, for his entire tenure, went back to his experience, the people with whom he was comfortable. Jed's not doing that. So I, I appreciate that. I think it's going to be fascinating to watch to see how the lower levels change as a result, how drafting, how scouting continues to change. But this is very different than how the Cubs have operated in years past. And whether it be you know, that one guy from the Rays or the Twins or the Braves, I have, I have no preference. I don't know anything about those guys. I don't think anyone truly does. But it's the concept. It's the intent of going out to a different organization and bringing in someone who has years of experience developing players. And that can prove valuable when you go out and try to make trades for younger guys, prospects, or evaluating your own system and what that can bring back in trade value because in years past, Theo has misfired on many of his trades. Trading Isaac Perez or Jaimer Candelario for Justin Wilson or Eloy Jimenez and Dylan Cease for Jose Quintana, a two-pitch pitcher, those were failures. And having someone who can come in as a GM who has an emphasis on player development might restricts some of those potential trades of happening in, in the immediate future. So I, I like it. I think overall what we're hearing from Jed, it's predictable to some degree, but it's nice to actually see it happening now as a reality now, not just anticipatory. Right. And, you know, just to to leave us off here and then we'll talk about the pitching. I, I think, you know, a lot of people will look at that list and they'll be like, get the guy from the Rays, right? The Rays operate well, I mean, on... that's, that's what I'm thinking too. <laughs> well, and, and, and it's not necessarily wrong. I, you know, they, they obviously succeed in, in, in ways that other teams do not. And I think getting, you know, someone that's been a part of that. Um, but, you know, it is just to say, like, the, the other candidates are likely also you know, very smart and and innovative. And again, but all three of those organizations have done really well in the areas that these guys are focusing on. Um, So I wouldn't, you know, there's nothing wrong with wanting somebody from the Rays because they operate on an extremely low budget and they nail the the player development, trading, um, you know, all of that stuff. They nail it. But those other organizations have done quite well in in those regards as well. So I think this list is a, a very strong one, um, and hopefully the Cubs, you know, do their vetting and 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 are getting a high character person for their organization, and also someone who uh, you know can really be that next great GM, and you know, hopefully, I, I guess one day take over Jed's role, right? Like you know, you want to be identifying who is that next person who's going to be kind of uh, at the forefront of of the game of baseball. And, and the paradigms and all that other stuff. So that's where that is. Keep an eye on that. It's, it's something, you know, that perhaps will happen uh, fairly soon. Um, so we will, you know, talk about that once there's a decision and maybe a press conference or something like that. But getting to the pitching, uh, we talked about the hitting last week, Brendan. 
And as I said, you know, Jed Hoyer pointed out it wasn't good enough. It was bad. And, uh, you know, especially if you looked at a lot of the statistics, uh, I think in the second half as well, you know, certainly the pitching, the offense wasn't terrible in a lot of those games, you know, the runs they were scoring, batting average, things like that. Like there were stretches where that offense was, uh, you know, putting up pretty decent numbers. The pitching just was not there for pretty much the majority of this year. It was a struggle for a lot of guys. Um, Looking at the wins above replacement leaderboard on fan graphs like we did for the offense, uh, we do have a leader who is not a member of this organization anymore uh, and who actually was eliminated earlier this afternoon with the White Sox, and that is Craig Kimbrell, who was at 2.2. And then following him, Kyle Hendricks and Alec Mills, then uh, another member of the now eliminated White Sox, Ryan Tapera. Adbert Alzali coming in just after that, and Andrew Chafin uh, rounding out the group that was at one win above replacement or above, everybody else below that. And I'm not going to go through all of that, you know, wins above replacement in this context is not uh, necessarily the, the, the be-all, end-all metric here, but I just think it's interesting to take a look at this leaderboard, especially when three of the members are not with the team and weren't with the team for half the season, and yet they still finished uh, pretty high on the leaderboard. So that's not a good sign. Um, But we've talked a lot about a ton of these guys, Brendan. And, you know, certainly for the pitching staff, just like it was for the offense, this second half was an opportunity for a lot of guys to kind of make a name for themselves, take an opportunity, and see if they could kind of factor into... Um, you know, the plans next year. So let's just start with the rotation. And you've talked about Kyle Hendricks a ton. I I don't think you need to necessarily break down everything about his season. But when you look at the guys that are are still here, that that the Cubs are going to have available to them, that, you know, we kind of talked about the idea of them being in the rotation, that would boil down pretty much to Kyle Hendricks, Alec Mills, Adbert Alzali, Justin Steele, and Keegan Thompson. We saw some other guys get in there, you know, guys like Corey Abbott, etc. But in terms of who was really getting those opportunities, and I think you'd be asking right now, would you put them in the rotation? Where, how, how did you end up feeling about that group of guys and, and where you would have them as we head into this offseason and, you know, eventually spring training, especially when you hear Jed Hoyer, you know, really put a, a very clear emphasis on we have to add starting pitching. We have to be better at, in our starting pitching. There's a lot of different combinations that they likely will explore this offseason from within house, from free agency to exploring trades. How the season ended doesn't change my thinking too much. Hendricks should be back unless there's a trade opportunity that makes obvious sense. Those are usually unlikely. And if Kyle comes back despite having some of those relative failures that he's not accustomed to experiencing my opinion is based on his career trajectory and the adjustments he's made those will prove valuable to make future adjustments to come back and improve that command especially when we consider with Kyle 
the reasons for his failures were not related to a lack of stuff. It wasn't age-related decline in velocity, in movement, in altered uh, release points, n- none of that. For whatever reason that's not quantifiable from the public data sphere, he just did not have his pinpoint command. I think that's going to get ironed out. I, I think you have to give Kyle the benefit of the doubt. For Mills and Alzali and Justin Steele and those guys, you have to be honest that if you want to compete in 2022, they're not going to be staples atop your rotation. They're great choices at the bottom of the rotation. Alk Mills, I think, deserves a shot because he is a five-pitch pitcher guy because his command was markedly improved over the last season, and even dating back to the second half, if you want to call it that, of the COVID season in that September 2020. I I, I think he deserves a chance. I think the Cubs would benefit from having a cost-effective pitcher in that fifth spot of the rotation. For Steele, he improved quite dramatically over the last year, adding a slider, throwing faster, having different opportunities to throw different pitches out of the bullpen, out of the rotation. He's going to be an option. Is he going to be, from day one, a starting pitcher for this team? Maybe. But again, if you want to have a high, confident, projectable rotation, I don't see how you can slot him in as a kind of number four guy. Maybe as a number five guy and you want to put Alec Mills back in that swing, Mike Montgomery-esque role, that, that's fine too. Alzali, think he deserves a shot. And this is just like general speaking at this point. We can get into more specifics. But Alzali, his career trajectory has been insane. He's not even the same guy as he was a year and a half ago. And the same can be said about Mills and and Steele. But I think the difference between he and Mills and Steele is that Alzali did show for the entire season uh, a semblance of consistency. And I get this stuff against the lefties and how that kind of deflated a lot of his numbers. But what remained consistent was the effectiveness of his slider, of his sinker, of those two pitches dominating his repertoire. He did not have to deviate from those two pitches, which were brand new pitches this season, and that's impressive. Most of his success came against righties. Most of his failures came against lefties. As the season went along, he developed a cutter. He started throwing more change-ups. By the end of the season, he had six pitches. He threw six pitches in one start before he went to the bullpen after that injury. And even on these small little knickknack injuries, he was still able to be with the big league club the entire year. And that was a huge success for him, as David Ross said, as Tommy Hadovy said. So Alzali is going to get a shot. He should be in that rotation from day one. Now, what that means, is he a four guy, a three guy? Certainly not going to be a two guy with that free Asian market. But if he goes in as like that four guy, absolutely. The ceiling is really high. I feel as if the floor is also raised because of his performance this year. And you can see how when he improves the value of his stuff and the value of his sinker up in the zone and his slider and his his grooming cutter and his changeup, which was a big part of his repertoire in 2019 when he debuted. So there's a lot to be excited about with Alzali. Is he a finished product? Absolutely not. Could he fizzle out? Absolutely. It's not a for sure thing. But given where the Cubs are at, 
is a, is a pretty good bet. And I would bet that he's going to be at least hovering around league average than not. They have a lot of opportunities to improve in the free agent market, but from the end of the season point of view, I think it's pretty obvious. Alzelay is going to get a shot from day one. Steele, we'll see how the, the, the offseason progresses. Likely not. Alec Mills is kind of in that 50-50 range for me in terms of what to expect, but I, I think it makes sense to at least give him a shot at the lower end of the rotation. But all that's to be said, if there's a way to improve via free agency where it's more than two pitchers, then I think you have to take that shot as well. Yeah, I mean, I I think I'm with you. I, I don't even know if I really have too much to add on that. I mean, I, I think it was good to see these guys get an opportunity. And I think especially when you enter spring training and, you know, injuries will happen, things like that. I think you can look to keep these guys in the fold. But I, I think, you know, Alzali, I would definitely be slotting in there. You know, Hendricks, you're obviously slotting in there. Um, and I, I, I think of the, the other guys I was most intrigued by Justin Steele, you know, it was, it was fun to watch his progress and the way he was changing things between starts. Um, but I, yeah, I mean, I think the, the general consensus with most people watching or, or writing or talking about this team is you're probably going to need at, to add two bona fide starters to this group if you're intending on competing even lightly in this division like not necessarily putting yourself in a position to be a juggernaut or or, you know win 107 games like the Giants just did or something like that to lead the NL but if you really want to compete and and not deal with the problems that you just had in 2021 you're you're probably looking at really needing uh, a one to two type starter and then maybe another two to three type starter. And then you hope yeah. that someone like Alzali is able to kind of take that jump and work himself into that conversation. And, you know, then you've got yourself a, a fairly strong rotation. But, um, you know, running it back with, you know, four or five of these guys in your rotation well, not is gonna not going to work. So, well, where are you with Alzali? Because at the end of the year, we, we have different degrees of confidence. And I understand where most fans are at, especially against the lefties. But if he's going to be your starter in the rotation, uh, like, are you cool with that? Do you Would you prefer the Cubs go out and at least have some more stability while giving Alza like some chances? Well, I mean, I think it depends where you're, you're putting him in the rotation. Well, as I'm, let's say, like a number, uh, I guess for the sake of, of, of example, like number three. I mean, I, I would be okay with it, um, depending on who they were adding to go along with Kyle Hendricks, um, you know, and how confident. Well, I mean, let's say you get like a Stroman type, mm-hmm. and then you get then you get someone who's uh, kind of like a, a one-year type deal who can go into like your number four right. spot. So you have some uncertainty. Like, like for me, Corey, I, I love Alzelay. That's not going to cut it for me. Like, I, I, I think Alzelay, huge ceiling, love his stuff, but I think you have to go in with, with some high degree of confidence and so you have in my opinion you have to get two guys you have to get someone in that stroman type sphere and someone right bordering that sphere as well it's it seems like a a necessity at this point yeah i mean i i think you know the the scenario that you laid out um you know where alzali is the three that sounds realistic right for for what we just what we expect from them in terms of their spending and, you know, their kind of competition cycle and, you know, not really like pushing all their chips in at the moment, things like that, still waiting for the CBA, blah, blah, blah. You've heard it all a million times, right? Um, 
you know, would that be like an earnest, you know, yes, we believe this is uh, a division winner, a playoff team as constructed, you know, it's, it's probably not like it's, it's risky, right? You know, because you're, you've broken down Kyle Hendricks and stuff like that. And I love Kyle Hendricks, but you know, he's, he's coming off a down year, right? So you need him to bounce back in uh, a way that looks more like the Kyle Hendricks we are used to and not necessarily what we saw for the, you know, a, a good part of 2021. And, you know, then you would really need some of those guys to take that jump. And I, I like Alzali a lot, and I, I think the potential is there, but, you know, th- that's its own thing. Like, there's still adjustments to make, right? And so going into the season, and you're going to have, you know, however many spring training starts or whatever to kind of work through some stuff and see where he's at, you know, he's got some stuff he has to adjust through. He looked really good in a lot of those outings out of the bullpen when he came back from the injury at the end of the season. But, you know, slotting him in, like you said, in, in that you know, made up scenario as your number three, he's, you know, that would require him performing at the level of a, a number three would require some, you know, a lot to go right for him and, and to make some, some real adjustments in some of the stuff that he struggled at. Am I saying he can't do that? Of course not. I believe he'll do it eventually, right? But, you know, can you go into a year and say that you believe you're, you know, going to win the division, going to compete, you know, and can maybe compete for a, a title if things go right, things like that, see what happens at the trade deadline, blah, 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 kind of like what we heard this year in the offseason. You know, I don't know. There, there would be a lot of risk there. There would be a lot of potential volatility in what you were doing. So I think, you know, if you're really trying to put uh, not your best foot forward, but a, a solid foot forward, you know, I think you'd want Alzali to maybe slot in as the four and then, you know, by his performance, kind of earn his way up and stuff like that. And if you were able to add guys on shorter deals, you know, then you go into the following offseason, you bump Alzali up and, you know, you work further down in the rotation. Um, but that's just kind of where the Cubs are at, I, I think. And, you know, that'll kind of be one of the more interesting things to follow, um, you know, in this offseason is that, you know, you see a lot of guys that have potential. And Jed Hoyer noted, you know, that he thought that group, Alzali, Steele, Thompson, were going to be big contributors to the team next year, but he didn't say in what way. And, you know, seeing how the cut, so kind of squaring that with his, you know, multiple comments about the starting pitching not being good enough and needing to add starting pitching and that being the priority, there's only so many spots. There's only so many starts. You know, there's only so many guys that can fit in in a five-man rotation, even a six-man rotation, if you, you know, have somebody getting in there fairly often. So obviously, if you're adding guys uh, and you like some of these other guys, you know, it doesn't really work. It's too many bodies for for the roles that you have. So I think there's going to be some additions and, you know, we'll see how significant they are. You know, there was a rumor the other day about Marcus Stroman. I don't want to delve too much into rumors because the playoffs are still going on and, you know, this is so early in that process. But, you know, it was, uh, you know, I think the rumor was five years, $25 million a year or something like that. And the Cubs were connected to him as one of the, the early teams. You know, again, putting whether you like that contract or anything aside, you know, that's the kind of move that you're going to need to be making if you want to overhaul this rotation overnight unless Jed has some you know, interesting trades or things like that up his sleeve. But uh, yeah, it's, you know, you can't, you can't say you want significant overhaul 
and then run back, you know, an entirely similar group. They're not going to, there's no way they no. do that. No, there, not after what no he way. said. He was very clear about that. Yeah. Um, so one question I have for you, Brendan, just gauging your interest on a potential free agent, what do you think about bringing Zach Davies back? Why do you even bring him <laughs> up, dude? I mean, I, th- there was zero reason to bring up that well, name. I thought I we have so much talk about you bringing Zach Davies listener. on this podcast. I cannot believe you just did that. I imagine that got a chuckle from people listening, or uh, like, ugh, right? Just you know, trying. I, mean, to- I just watched Milwaukee lose the playoffs. I'm on I, a I high bring right back now. down to earth. And Brandon. you and you bring up Zach yeah. Davies on this podcast. Thank you very much. Um, but let's let's transition to the bullpen. Um, we saw, you know, the Cubs for the first half of this season had put together a really good bullpen, a bullpen that had, uh, several streaks of not giving up runs over a really significant amount of innings. Um, you know, the, the work, you know, in bringing over, you know, and some of this had been cobbled together over the years, not necessarily just the off season, but, you know, Ryan Tapera, Craig Kimbrell, Andrew Chafin, um, you know, guys like that. And, then having some of those complementary pieces, you you had even guys like Dan Winkler putting together uh, a solid season up until you know he hit a, an obvious you know incoming roadblock. Uh, but this bullpen was really strong, and after the deadline, you saw different guys getting opportunities, and it was certainly more of a struggle than the the sort of elite form that it had taken early in the year. Um, so. I guess my, my, my question to you is, who are the kind of main pillars that you're looking at that we saw in 2021 that are still going to be here in 2022 that you're kind of looking at to hold things down in this bullpen? And how much effort, if any, would you really pay in this offseason to adding guys to this bullpen? Where would your, your priority be? And I guess in that context, like, do you feel like this team has somebody to close games next year and if they're going to add guys it should be at kind of those you know sixth inning seventh inning type guys to just sort of fill in those pieces do you feel like they're missing that kind of top tier elite arm like what what are you looking at from what you saw in 2021 and and how they should address that in the offseason well the way the season ended a little disappointing when it comes to the bullpen the the Manny Rodriguez injury was disappointing um we talked a lot about Cody Hoyer. I, I thought his performance towards the end, especially the last three weeks, was really confusing to me. His his whiff rate went down after he developed that hybrid fastball. And I don't know what to make of that. I don't know if that's because he was working on that pitch and the Cubs are using that time not as an evaluation tool, where they're going all out, but more of a developmental period. So I don't know what to make of Cody Hoyer's uh, higher contact rate as September rolled along. But we did see when he was right away, came over to the Cubs, he had immediate success. We saw Manny, when he was throwing triple-digit heat, when he was healthy, had success. Rowan Wick came back from an injury, started throwing... You know, fastballs, 94, 95, 96, showcased a cutter more often. The spike curveball looked good. And those were the three pitchers who I thought could carry over into next season and be the back of the uh, bullpen candidates. There's some uncertainty there, right? Like, you know, with Wick, the uncertainty is performance-based. It's injury-based for Cody Hoyer. It's 
small sample base. And then for Manny Rodriguez, it's kind of like all the above. We don't really have a good sample. He has injury concerns, uh, an odd career trajectory influenced by injuries, but also by COVID and that and that gap and that time off. So I don't know what to make of it. Given the Cubs' track record in years past, I think going in, identifying candidates in free agency, or even minor league signings, outcasts who did not fit in with certain developmental infrastructures, that seems to be the route to go. Then again, because the Cubs do have so much money that they could spend this offseason, I'm not opposed to going out and at least investing in a more stable bullpen arm while continuing to bring guys up and identify misfits from other organizations. I don't feel totally confident in the bullpen right now, though. I think that's fair. There's a lot of questions, but the ceiling is high. I think we all know the ceiling with Manny Rodriguez. We all know the ceiling with Rowan Wick and Cody Hoyer's weird release point, his unique fastball should be intriguing to a lot of different people. And then you consider in Keegan Thompson's role as a multi-inning guy that can go two innings, three innings. He can max out his velocity. That's intriguing. And if they end up signing more uh, starters, then you can put in Justin Steele into that mix. And all of a sudden, you do have five bullpen candidates that make sense from day one. And you can go out and get, again, some of those misfits or go out and invest in a stable reliever. There's ways to go about doing this. I just don't see the past methods of giving out $8 million to Steve Cizek and giving right. out money. And they even invested in like Rex Brothers before this stint with the Cubs. I, I see that kind of a, a thing of the past. And I think that's speaks volume to Tommy Hadevi and, and Craig Breslow's success. And I think that's the way to go. I'm not really concerned about it. My concern or my effort is going to be more so at that starting pitching and that position player group. Yeah, I think as we've discussed, you know, we've seen this pitching infrastructure be able to identify guys, uh, be it the free agent market, the waiver market, minor league, you know, guys that you give an opportunity to. We've seen them be able to put a competent and more often than not a very successful bullpen together with those guys. And I think in a year where you felt like you are an elite bullpen away from winning the World Series, you know, then I think, yeah, let's take a look at who's out there and and see how we transition this group from effective or good to elite, excellent, you know, unbeatable, right? But that's not where the Cubs are going to be. And I think, you know, a lot of the names, you know, Brendan, that you mentioned, some of the guys that, you know, they have the ability to bring back that we saw, um, you know, even, uh, you know, someone like Jason Adam, who made a comeback at the end of the year, guys like Cole Stewart, etc. You know, a bunch of these guys that we saw. And then like you pointed out, Brendan, if you do go out and make those improvements in the rotation, you are able to move some of those guys to the bullpen, which strengthens the bullpen, gives you more depth there. We heard from Jed Hoyer in the press conference that uh, Braylon Marquez is healthy and throwing. He had, you know, obviously sort of a lost year in 2021, but they're going to try to time that and see, and, you know, perhaps he can be, uh, I think Jed Hoyer used the phrase weapon, you know, some sort of pitching weapon for the team at some point, right? Um, I think you have a lot of interesting guys there 
and combining that with what we saw, especially from Rowan Wick and Cody Hoyer, I think you have the makings of a, 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 a solid enough bullpen and, you know, maybe you make some moves, maybe you add some reclamation projects. Again, we've seen the Cubs do that and we've seen them do that with success often, you know, finding one or two guys that, you know, other teams threw away or didn't know how to get the most out of. You, you get them in the lab, you get them with uh, Tommy Hadovy and, and the group and, and they're able to get sometimes it's even only a month or so, but you're able to get some innings out of those guys, right? So I I think they're able to do that. And given that we're not really sure how much funding is going to be available, when you have all these other issues you have to address, I wouldn't be spending too much on the bullpen. If the bullpen in 2022 is like the sole reason that the Cubs season goes off the rails or they don't make the playoffs or something like that. If that's what's holding them back, then I'll eat my hat, right? Like when you look at where this offense was and all the players that they lost and the decisions they have to make there and you look at how bad the rotation was, the changes that are going to be so, you know, utterly necessary there and the money that you're going to need to fix that, if they nail all of that and all of that is great and it's somehow the bullpen that holds them back, then we'll cross that bridge when we get there. But th- this team has a lot more on the priority front, um, you know, than going out and adding a, a top tier, you know, reliever. That's just not going to solve, it's not going to solve all their problems. And I don't think it's, you know, putting them over some sort of hump that, you know, it's currently holding them back from. So. Yeah. Well, even even earlier on in 2015 and earlier in 2016, 2016 had some more stability, but 2015, they did piece together that bullpen, right? Like Hector Rondon had a lot of potential. He fulfilled that potential in 2015. We saw the potential of Strope when he was acquired in the Arietta deal, but he kind of came through during those mid-2010s. And it, they pieced it together and had success, and ultimately the bullpen was not their demise, nor was it their reason for success. And even in 2016, they just relied on Chapman to to get through the playoffs. So to spend a lot of money and resources on the bullpen, given how they've developed guys in the past couple years now, doesn't make much sense. Is it a hole right now on this team? Yeah, it's not stable. It's not projectable at this point. There's a lot of question marks. Just given how they've gone through the last couple of years, I kind of assume that those question marks will have answers as the year progresses. Yeah. Uh, I, and again, I, you know, I think the, the 2016 example is a good one too. Like obviously the, the injuries to Strope and Rondon, before I, I say that, when I'm talking about 2016, I'm talking about the year that the Cubs won the World Series. Won the World uh, Series, yeah. And won, to yeah. reiterate, with the Brewers' loss today, they will still have never done that as an organization. No, so never, just no, a, yep. a little, you know, plot point I want to refocus on here as we wrap this podcast up. But you know, when you look at that season, right, you already mentioned, you know, the contributions they got from some of those random guys, but they they make the trade for Chapman and then you are required basically to overuse him because of the late season injuries to Strope, Rondon, and then, you know, their ineffectiveness when they were able to come back or their lack of their ability to come back. And, 
that's kind of what I mean when I say like that team, you knew what they needed. They had everything else sorted out and you were like, this is what is going to hold them back. It's the bullpen. They don't have that elite, like blow it away kind of arm that you can bring in and put out fires and just go for strikeouts and just ride it, right? And that's just not where this team is at. And if you, you know, you don't want to necessarily be in a position where if this, hey, this team surprises, they're in first place by 10 games at the trade deadline in 2022 somehow. And, you know, then you're, you're maybe needing to go and trade for a reliever or something. You don't, you don't always want to do that, right? We, we're all like literally currently today making fun of the White Sox for giving us Nick Madrigal and Cody Hoyer for Craig Kimbrell, who was really bad for them, right? So you don't want to be in that position. But, the Cubs just aren't in that spot like they were in 2016 for a lot of reasons, but for the purpose of this point where you know, like, yes, we need to spend on this. This is the area that we need to fix right now. It's just not a priority, I don't think, right now. And it's something that you can see if you're able to deal with it internally. And like I said, if it's looking like that's going to be the thing that is going to hold you back from a great season at the trade deadline next year, then you go and deal with it, right? But I don't think that's going to happen, and I think the Cubs have a lot of potential and interesting guys that can possibly even solve that problem uh, before you even got there. So that would not be a priority. I, you know, I agree with Jed, and I think he was clear on this for a reason. The starting pitching is the spot that this team needs to fix, and if this team is going to do anything uh, in 2022 whether they're, you know, really intending to or not, right? Like it's it's going to start and end with this rotation because we just saw it all year, right? I mean, how how early into the year, Brendan, were we talking about the lack of length from these starters and how it was killing the bullpen that was a really elite group, right? And how you were getting so many, you know, three or four inning starts and it just wasn't good enough and, you know, so many runs and behind the eight ball it, you know, it can happen. And we saw multiple times this year, the Cubs, you know, offense spotting the team a six run lead, a seven run lead, boom, evaporated by the starting pitching. So that's the type of stuff you have to fix. And that's got to be the priority. Well, that's when you look at June and how that collapse signaled a trade-off was the pitching was even worse, but then the bullpen started to crack a little bit. You had Ryan Tapiris suffer an injury, and when that combined with the offense slipped, then they lost, you know, double-digit games in a row. But my, my, my confidence in the bullpen, like, from a one specific player point of view, I wouldn't say it's exceptionally high. It's just look at who we have to work with. And we did not even mention... Braylon Marquez should be in the picture from day one. He did pitch on the big league club in 2020. And given that he throws presumably still triple digits, maxing out out of the bullpen, that's like your sixth candidate right there. And we're not even talking about what they have in mind for like Cody Abbott, for example, or Trevor McGill, or Tommy Nance coming back. They're going to be in the mix, and they're still not even done developing new pitches or exploring guys who they can get on cheap deals, minorly contracts. The bullpen should be fine, Corey. 
Famous last words. Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, man, I, yeah. well, I mean, look, if we end up in a situation where people are tweeting at us next July or something, like, you guys said the bullpen are going to be fine and it's going to cost them the division, I'd be pleasantly surprised, right? Like, I mean, oh. if you told me we're even talking about the division, um, I, I'd be thrilled, right? There's just well, so just much depressing. uncertainty with this team right now and the organization as a whole. Like, yeah, yeah. that would be. But, a, but I will I will say, Corey, like, if you, if you look at the, at the way that Milwaukee lost, and and that the White Sox lost, they were maybe the two best teams in a small playoff series sample, like in the playoffs with that pitching staff, the bullpen, the lineup, and they they lost to underdogs. The playoffs are so weird, and we, we well, I don't do think Houston, this, but Houston was the home team in that series. Well, what I'm trying to say is, you look at like these teams on paper, and you look at how the White Sox have hit for the majority of sure. the year, and their pitching staff, and their bullpen. I mean, they have you know a Hall of Fame closer and Liam Hendricks. Like they looked as if they should at least roll, or not roll, but be more competitive. I mean, they got destroyed yeah. in an elimination game today. Baseball is such an idiotic sport. You just got to get in. Right. The Braves are in the NLCS without their best hitter in Acuna. You just got to get in, right. and anything can happen. Yeah, that's that's how it is, and uh, it's it's going to be interesting. So, you know, I, I think this, this episode, you know, maybe a little— um, different I think than the offensive episode because there's there there's obviously just so much change that needs to take place um on this pitching staff and uh for this team to be competitive you're you're just going to have to make some some significant additions um you know in a in a quality and probably quantity perspective overall so it's it's going to be interesting to see how they approach that and you know we've kind of got that table set with the comments from Jed Hoyer about doing just that and hopefully the team adds a new general manager soon and and you know they're ready to hit the ground running we we don't know what 2022 is going to bring or what this offseason is exactly going to bring but uh the cubs are certainly gearing up to, you know, I think really, we, we've talked about it for years, right? And obviously, the, the significant portion of this happens at the trade deadline. But, you know, after this offseason, I don't want to call it a new era of Cubs baseball, because it just, you know, feels dramatic. Um, but, you know, I think it'll really feel that way. You know, you're going to have a, a new general manager, you've got Jed going into, um, you know, his, his second year and, you know, having like a, a full year under his belt and things like that. You've got a ton of the uh, previous faces of the franchise and, and the guys on the banners and the tickets and all that other stuff. They're gone and you, uh, they talk about it all the time. And, it, you know, it, it's it's sort of a, a whatever line at this point, but, you know, they, they really are kind of ready to embark on building that next great Cubs team. You know, when they do that or how they do that, I, I don't know, but that's what we're heading for. And then, you know, it's going to be a, a new identity, I think, for this team um, come this offseason once once they're really able to, to hit the ground running. But I think that's what we have for you. Um, we will get back with you in a week uh, and see where, where things are at. If we have a general manager or anything else, we hear from Jed Hoyer and any rumors that start to pop up. The playoffs are, you know, getting getting through. We've still got a little ways to go here, but uh, we're almost at the final four. And, you know, that means it's it's almost time for this stuff to, to get underway. Arbitration cases, free agency, trade talk, things like that. Um, so it, it's close. It's close. This is uh, the last couple weeks here of the Cubs sort of just sitting there, right? And, and us just kind of figuring, you know, waiting, the waiting game. Um, 
so that's kind of the the state of things. A lot of this, you know, we had talked about throughout the year, and we we kind of uh, you kind of, you guys kind of knew most of this stuff, but good to just sort of put a, a punctuation on the 2021 season, what it was, and and where it leaves us as we head into uh, this off season in earnest in a couple weeks here. So we will talk to you guys soon. As always, we thank you for supporting the Cubs related podcast, and as always, whether it is uh, during the season and we're at Wrigley Field or the off season and we are hate watching teams we hate in the playoffs. Uh, Go Cubs!